This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'd like to welcome y'all to the Destination Devi Podcast, hosted by Ray Garvin, your number one source for everything Devi and Dynasty Fantasy Football. Welcome to episode five of the Destination Debbie podcast. I'm your host, Ray Garvin. You can find me on Twitter at RayGQ. So over this past Father's Day weekend, I watched an older movie with my wife. Came out in 1996. The name of that movie is Primal Fear. Very underrated movie, might I add, featuring Richard Gere, a young Edward Norton, Laura Lenny. Just a fantastic murder, mystery, thriller. Just a lot of drama in this film. And the plot of this is Martin Vale, uh, the character portrayed by Richard Gere, is a hotshot attorney in Chicago. There was a murder of the Catholic archbishop in which he was killed in a very gruesome fashion. Aaron Stampler, portrayed by Edward Norton, was the accused uh, killer in in this film. Now, Martin Vale was the type of attorney that kind of represented whoever. He didn't care if it was a a scumbag or, or whomever. That was immaterial to his to his role in the film he was high profile he liked the lights and glamour he liked he didn't care if his client was innocent or professed his innocence or guilt he just was going to do his job as the attorney to win the case and be placed on the next magazine well it all changed when he met this Aaron Stampler good looking kid young guy claimed his innocence from the time that Martin Vale met him and it's it's ironic that the attorney's name is Martin Vale, the last name being Vale. But he really took a liking to Aaron Stampler. He really believed that he was innocent. He believed that he was incapable of, of killing the archbishop in this manner. He went against everything that he had done throughout his career and really opened his heart and 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 believed in this kid. And he couldn't see any any wrong. He thought he was a troubled, hurt kid. Now, Aaron Stampler in the movie developed a uh, split personality or, you know, some sort of mental disorder where he created a fictional character named Roy who actually did the killing. And the catch in the movie was after 
Martin Vale fought so hard for his client. He got Aaron Stampler off. He was excited. He had just brought justice. He had believed in this guy. He knew it. He knew he was innocent. And he got him off of the murder. And at the very end, it was revealed that Aaron Stampler was playing him the whole time. He tugged at his heartstrings. He used that love and admiration that Martin Vale had for him. And he played him like a fiddle. He never had a split personality. There was never some alter ego. He, in fact, was the one who killed the Archbishop. And Martin Vale, the look on his face of being played, of being had, because he just, he could not see anything past what he, you know, his preconceived notion that he developed early in the process of this trial. Now, I think that's what we're doing with Jerry Judy. I really believe that we anointed him as the wide receiver one so early in this process, so, so early, that we have just been blinded by the fact that there may be other receivers in this class who are better than Jerry Judy. I know that is a contrarian take, and oh my God, Ray, you're overthinking it. Jerry Judy is the best thing to come out since Julio Jones. Well, I've seen multiple people have, whether that be Tyler, Tyler Johnson, whether that be CeeDee Lamb or Jalen Rager, LaVisca Chenault, I have seen various analysts have different people at that wide receiver one position. I think that we just anointed Jerry Judy the consensus 101 so far, so, so far in advance that we just can't see anybody else overtaking him. And I'm here to say that that is not necessarily true. Now, hear me out. I am not saying on this podcast that Jerry Judy is a bad wide receiver prospect. I am not saying that. Let me say it again. Jerry Judy is a fantastic wide receiver prospect. I think he is ultra talented, and I think he has the skill set to become a star in the NFL. I just think that also applies for Jalen Rager and Tyler Johnson and CeeDee Lamb and potentially LaVisca Chenault and others. And because of that, I'm done. I am done ranking prospects. I won't do it anymore. It's not happening. I'll continue to rank those prospects for the website that I write for, Dynasty Nerds. But as far as my engagement on Twitter, if I'm a guest on anybody else's podcast, I will not be ranking any one, two, three, four, five. I'm not doing it. I am using a tier-based approach from here on forward, and I'm holding true to that. This class, more so than any other class, just reminded me that's what I need to do. Depending on landing spot, that's going to be the determining factor for a lot of these guys. The talent that separates Jerry Judy from Jalen Rager to Tyler Johnson to CeeDee Lamb is not some wide gap. It's just not. There is nothing that Jerry Judy does so much better than Jalen Rager or so much better than Tyler Johnson that just it separates him to that level. I know people are going to look at, well, look at his agility. Look how, look how crisp of a route runner he is. I venture to say Tyler Johnson, Tyler Johnson's just a good route runner as Jerry Judy. Well, Jerry Judy's explosive and he's fast. So is Jalen Rager. And he can go up and get the ball. And he's made contested grabs. And he can get offer something in the return game. And he's been a phenomenal dynamic weapon for TCU. The, the thing is, we see Alabama play every damn Saturday. They're playing on ESPN or ABC. They've got the primetime slots on CBS. We are seeing Alabama play constantly. Be honest. When's the last time you've watched a TCU game? When's the last time you've watched a Minnesota game? 
probably never unless you live in Minnesota. I know I haven't. So that recency bias, the fact that we get to see Jerry Judy more than everybody else, I mean, that plays a factor into our evaluation. And as good as Jerry Judy is, let's not forget that he's got another first round talented wide receiver playing us outside of him and Henry Ruggs. He's got probably the best quarterback that Alabama has ever had throwing him the ball. There's another guy named Jalen Waddle there and Devonta Smith. And he had two running backs that were high draft picks in the last NFL class. He's got another running back there this year who'll be another top pick in the NFL draft class. I am again not saying Jerry Judy is not a talented, phenomenal wide receiver prospect. But just to anoint him and pigeonhole him in the 101 slot today, to me, is premature. I do think that there are possibilities for other people to be drafted ahead of him in Dynasty rookie drafts in 2020. We saw it this year. The first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft was not Nikhil Harry or Hakeem Butler or DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf. It was five foot nine, 170 pound Marquise Hollywood Brown. He was the first wide receiver drafted, but because of landing spot, he ended up in Baltimore. He didn't. He wasn't going until the second round of Dynasty rookie drafts. Nikhil Harry was was the second wide receiver selected, and he was everybody's one on one or top three. So I just think there is a world in which Jerry Judy is selected by a poor team, and he very well may be the first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft. But that does not mean for dynasty purposes, you need to just pencil them into the 101 slot. If you do that, you may be setting yourself and your team up for uh, not an optimal lineup in the future. I think that given the landing spot, would you rather have Jerry Judy on the Miami Dolphins or Jalen Rager on the Green Bay Packers? I think there's a top tier group of wide receivers. And depending on where those individuals land, I would be just fine having one of three or four of those players. I want the situation. I want the opportunity. I do not believe that the talent gap between Judy and some of those other wide receivers are so big to just pigeonhole him into that one-on-one spot here in June of 2019. A lot of the talk surrounding the 2020 prospects right now are geared towards the juniors. Those are the those are the players that we want to talk about. The young guys, the the Andre Swifts, the Jerry Judys, the Ragers. Those are those are the prospects who are receiving a lot of attention on podcasts, on social medias, on fantasy football articles. But there are some rising seniors who are absolutely outstanding that I haven't discussed on this pod yet, and I think they are deserving of some attention because they have the potential this year to really break out and position themselves to be higher draft picks than we're anticipating right now. And I just want to run a couple of names past you so you're aware of them and and can have them on your radar heading into this fall. K.J. Hill is a wide receiver out of Ohio State. He's six foot, about 200 pounds. He was the second leading receiver for Ohio State last year. He caught 68 passes for 865 yards and six TDs with Paris Campbell in that offense. Now, Paris Campbell's gone, so it's looking like Hill is going to slide into that number one role. Urban Meyer's gone, but Ryan Day's taken over that offense. It will probably look very similar to the Ohio State offenses of the past. Throwing him the ball, that's where the question mark lies. It is it just is it going to be Justin Fields? I think it's going to be Fields, but their passing attack is going to be very good this year with KJ Hill. They have Jalen Gill. Garrett Wilson, they're going to be just fine in the receiving game. 
and he already had a productive junior year. So KJ Hill is somebody who could position himself to be what a day two, day three draft pick come 2020 and Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day, they've had success with those H back wide receiver hybrid roles, Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin, Paris Campbell. So if KJ Hill can perform or pick up where he left off last season, I'd expect a pretty, pretty nice size campaign out of him this senior season, positioning him to be a higher draft pick than we're thinking right now. Now here in the great state of Texas, there's a six foot six monster uh, Colin Johnson, 6'6", 220 pounds. He was phenomenal last year. He caught 68 balls as well for 985 yards and seven TDs. That boy, Lil' Jordan Humphrey, was the leading receiver, but they've got Sam Elliger coming back as the starting quarterback. And if you liked Hakeem Butler, I believe Colin Johnson's a better overall wide receiver than Hakeem Butler. The production has been there for Johnson over the past couple of seasons with him entrenched in that number one role at the wide receiver position in the Big 12, where we all know that historically they do not play a lot of defense. I look for Colin Johnson to have a massive, massive year in 2019. And given his size, his athletic profile, he could position himself to be a very early draft pick as far as the wide receivers. And with his size, red zone ability could be a valuable asset for dynasty owners. Now let's transition to the running back position and talk about Zach Moss, running back from Utah, 5'10", 215 pounds. He was having a phenomenal year last year before he injured his knee and ended his 2018 campaign after the game against Arizona State. But I mean, he was on a roll. He had run the ball 179 times for almost 1,100 yards and 11 TDs. Even though he didn't play the final, what was it, five games, he was second in the Pac-12 in rushing yards per game with 121.7 and six overall in yards. Moss doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but he doesn't do anything really bad either. He's he's not just a guy, but he's sort of just a guy, you know, but, but running back position, we all know when you get to the next level, you need to be two, three deep at running back. And with Utah having issues with their transfer quarterback, doesn't look like he's going to be Uh, eligible to play this fall from Texas, Zach Moss could be in line for a 300 plus carry season. And if he can put up some of the same numbers that he did last year, showing that he's healthy and recovered from that knee injury, he might be a, a nice sleeper running back to invest late round draft capital in come 2020. Now, another running back who's climbing up my tier rankings is Keyshawn Vaughn, running back out of Vanderbilt, five foot 10, 215 pound redshirt senior. Just go look at his picture. He looks like a man. He looks like a full-grown man, and he's got size, agility, vision, contact balance, acceleration. Last season, he was outstanding, ran for 1,244 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, and 12 touchdowns in the SEC. We all know Bleacher Report Matt Miller said that he was the biggest sleeper at the position uh, when he released his early ranks for 2020. And there's another analyst at ESPN who said right now he's the number one senior back in the spring. And if he had come out in 2019, he would have been the first running back selected ahead of Josh Jacobs, ahead of Darrell Henderson, ahead of David Montgomery. So with with Travis Etienne and Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift grabbing all the headlines right now for the 2020 class, don't sleep on Vaughn out of Vanderbilt playing in the SEC Putting up those type of numbers, he will probably be named a preseason All-American or at least honorable mention. 
He's somebody that we should keep our eyes on. He is a really, really good running back prospect. And I think that the NFL, you know, just because he's not a young guy, we all know that they just want to get those running backs to that first year, four-year contract. And after that, it's sort of, we'll, we'll wait and see. So Vaughn out of Vanderbilt is somebody that we definitely need to keep our eyes on, rising senior. Now, the last senior prospect I'm really going to dive into is Justin Herbert, quarterback out of Oregon. And I touched on him a couple episodes ago when we were talking about 2020 quarterback prospects um, and how they fare in Superflex format. But Herbert, 6'6", 230 pounds. He is, he's got the talent. He's an exceptional athlete, threw for 29 touchdowns and only eight interceptions last year. He added two rushing touchdowns. He's got another coach again this year. It just seems like Oregon is cycling through offensive coordinators, coaches. They're going to have to replace their leading receiver in Dylan Mitchell, but they've got good running backs to take a little bit of pressure off of Herbert. But as far as senior quarterbacks, he is somebody that really can improve his stock. And I've seen some people say that they, he could actually push two or four the first quarterback drafted. I don't believe that's particularly true. I think Tua is a much better quarterback than Justin Herbert, but there's no denying six foot six, 230 pounds with mobility. Good head on his shoulders by all accounts. He's a he's a great leader in the locker room, hard worker, good kid. He was a three-star recruit, so he's worked his tail off to get to this level that he's at right now to even be considered a first-round quarterback prospect. So Justin Herbert is somebody is a senior that really can rise up the ranks this season, and we all need to be paying attention to, especially you guys who play in the super flex format. Now, a couple of prospects I didn't talk about because we'll feature them on later episodes. Tyler Johnson is a rising senior, as well as Brian Edwards. Both of those guys are fantastic wide receiver prospects. We already talked about Tyler a little bit earlier in this episode, being in that tier one for me. And Brian Edwards is comfortably in the tier two as far as the wide receiver prospects. But those are just a couple of guys. There are plenty, plenty other seniors that we have not discussed. But those are some of my top, top ranked seniors that I'll be paying attention to this fall when college football kicks off. All of this information sharing is awesome. It's good to hear about what's going on in Debbie mock drafts, what's happening as far as whose players are ranked ahead of this person or what tier you would place these players in. All of that is fine and well, but what really counts is when you're on the clock in a real league situation where you've paid an entry fee The startup draft is underway and you have to select these players for your team, not just this season for for the foreseeable future. And over the past couple of weeks, the writers over at Dynasty Nerds put together a Debbie Superflex startup draft. We just finished that a couple of days ago, and I want to share with you the results of the Debbie draft portion. Now, we only did a three round Debbie draft, so it was very interesting to see how these picks played out in relation to some mock drafts that I've been a part of. And again, let me remind you, this is a super flex format. So super flex, PPR, no tight end premium. I'm just going to quickly just give you the first 12 selections and we'll kind of dive into my thoughts. I won't name the writers who made these picks, but starting in round one, 101 was Trevor Lawrence, followed by Travis Etienne, DeAndre Swift, Jerry Judy went number four overall. Tua Tungavailoa, fifth, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Rondell Moore, Cam Akers, Eno Benjamin, LaVisca Chenault, Justin Herbert rounds out the first round. So those were the top 12 selections. What was telling is, again, super flex format, 
three quarterbacks go off the board in the first 12 picks. I could not believe that Tua fell to five. That was my selection. When when number four, when pick four was on the on the board, I just knew that he would select Tua and I was going to end up taking Jerry Judy. Well, he took Judy at four and I felt like that was an absolute steal to get Tua with the fifth pick overall in the Superflex Debbie startup. Justin Herbert went 12. I thought that was a great selection, great value. Had he been on the board when, when I came back in round two, he would definitely be my selection. It was, it was interesting to see ETN above Swift. Trevor Lawrence went one. I mean, even though you don't get to use him for two years, you can't pass that up. I thought J.K. Dobbins at six, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still in the air about a Dobbins. Cam Akers is consistently in every Debbie mock draft I've been in. He's going top 10 every time, and he went top 10 here. You know, Benjamin was 10th, and, and LaVisca Chenault fell to 11th. So I say that to say, and if you're playing in a super flex format, there's going to be so many talented players that fall outside of that first round because the value of the quarterback pushes those pushes those players down. And we really see that come round two. So in round two, this was a shocker, but I liked it because I've talked about this player being one of my favorite players in the 2020 draft, well, potentially in the 2020 draft class, Chuba Hubbard, Oklahoma State running back, followed by Jalen Rager, C.D. Lamb, Justin Ross, Jake Fromm, Justin Fields, Tyler Johnson, Najee Harris, Amon Ross St. Brown, T. Higgins, Brian Edwards, and Henry Ruggs. Now, in this round, I had the 208. I had the 105 in the first round, and I had the 208 in this round. I traded my 305. I traded my third round pick in this Debbie draft, so the last round pick, a 2021st and a 2022nd to move up to 202 to select Jalen Rager. I'll put my money where my mouth is, folks. I believe in Rager that much that I moved those assets in order to acquire them. I, I kept my 208, moved the 305, my 2021st and 2022nd. Now, here's the strategy part of Debbie drafts that if you're looking to get into Debbie or if you're in Debbie leagues, you already know how this works. Because we're selecting the quote-unquote top talent from the 2020 class now, I'm not valuing those 2020 picks as highly in a Debbie startup. Majority of the guys that would be first-round picks will not be there in 2020. Majority of the guys who would have been second-round picks will not be there in 2020. So for me, securing what I believe is a tier one wide receiver prospect in this draft in round two was an absolute steal. So I leveraged those picks for Jalen Rager. I think Chuba Hubbard at 201 was outstanding. I love his game. Will he come out? I don't know. He's a redshirt sophomore. So that honor may have to wait another year to use him. But we see Jake Fromm and Justin Fields come off the board. Normally, outside of a super flex format, they're not being touched until later. Justin Ross at 204 was an absolute steal. That owner, I mean, I could not believe, I considered him at 202, but I couldn't pass on Rager and getting him in 2020. But I believe that Justin Ross was a steal. Tyler Johnson at 207. At 208, I took Najee Harris. And I'm not overly crazy about that selection. I think Harris is a very talented running back. There was a reason why he was the number two overall player in his class. I think that he may show a little bit more this year in that lead back role, but that was team need. I needed a running back. I completely punted the running back position in the startup. So 
I had to get somebody that was coming out in 2020 who could be a lead back or at least have the potential to be a lead back come next year. T. Higgins at 210 was a steal. Henry Ruggs, I love him, rounded out the second round at 212. Again, I believe that that was incredible value for a speedster like Ruggs, who I would have taken earlier in the second round as well. Now, rounding out the Debbie draft, we'll start with uh, Kylan Hill, Keyshawn Vaughn, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell, A.J. Dillon, Jamar Jefferson, Trey Trey Sermon, Donovan Peoples-Jones, J.T. Daniels, Zamir White, Tylen Wallace, and Colin Johnson, who we just discussed. At this round, the pick that I would have had was the 305, where that owner selected A.J. Dillon. I'm not a fan of A.J. Dillon. I wouldn't have taken A.J. Dillon. I would have been pretty pissed that Jalen Waddle went right ahead of me. If I were on the clock at that point in time, I probably would have selected Tylen Wallace or Colin Johnson. Garrett Wilson, I think that was a great pick. I think he's got talent. It's just, gosh, you can't use him until 2022. It's just so far out. JT Daniels was a little bit of a surprise going in that that third round, but I understand quarterback is king in the super flex format. You have to take a chance on him. Trey Sermon dropped down. I thought that was great value. I'm not the biggest Sermon fan, but he's coming out in 2020 and he's a running back, so he's got value. Tylen Wallace and Colin Johnson rounding out the end of this draft. To get those guys at 311 and 312, just phenomenal job. Hand clapped by those owners because I think they got uh, two really good players for their, their cost. And I admittedly am not the biggest Tylen Wallace fan, but at 311, hell yeah, sign me up. I'll take that. So just kind of compare what we did in an actual draft, an actual startup draft with money on the line, with a championship in the line compared to what we've done or what you've seen in Debbie mock drafts. When you're actually on the clock, when it counts, depending on your format, things are scheduled to change. All I can say is go get your guy, stay true to your rankings, and don't care about anything else. You got to get your guy, get the players that you believe in. I believe in Jalen Rager. I believe that Tua is an outstanding quarterback who will be in the NFL for years to come. And I'm going to make myself believe in Najee Harris. Last week, we talked about the Clemson Tigers and their roster and what those Debbie prospects look like, you know, from the different positions. This week, I'm going to do a little bit different. I'm not just going to go through and talk about the quarterbacks and then talk about the running backs. I'm just going to, I've ranked these guys from Alabama and Oklahoma, one through seven. Oklahoma, I did one through five. I've got a couple of honorable mentions, and I'm just going to tell you my overall thoughts on these players from a Debbie perspective. So starting with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Number one player on that team for Debbie Dynasty purpose. Who else? Who else? Surprise, surprise. Jerry Judy, phenomenal wide receiver prospect, followed by Henry Ruggs III. The more I watch Ruggs' this game, the more excited I get about him. I really can't wait to do a couple of video breakdowns on why I think that kid is special. Number one is he's just, he has true game-breaking speed. I posted a tweet uh, about his miles per hour in-game speed being faster than Tyreek Hill. It was on an 84-yard screenplay against Missouri. I think he was clocked at like 23.7 miles per hour. Uh, the play was called back because of a holding call, and Tyreek Hill, over the past three years, has the fastest in-game speed, and I believe it's 23.5 miles per hour, which ironically, it was a 106-yard kick return for a touchdown that was called back as well. But Henry Ruggs has elite speed, 
He's got great size. He's a very good route runner. He's tough as hell. The more I watch Henry Ruggs, the more excited I get about him. Third Debbie-related player as far as rankings from the Alabama Crimson Tide. I've got Najee Harris, followed by Jalen Waddle, Tua Tunga-Bailoa, Devonta Smith, and Trey Sanders, the true freshman. There will be a timeshare, and Trey Sanders will get opportunity. I think he'll flash. He should not take over the starting role. I doubt that happens. He'll probably have to wait until next year when Robinson or Harris are, are gone, but we will see flashes from Trey Sanders. Devonta Smith is an underrated wide receiver. Again, we talk about how good Jerry Judy is. We talk about how good Henry Ruggs is and Jalen Waddle. Oh, there's another guy, number six, a thin-framed wide receiver who's absolutely dynamic in the receiving game as well. I mean, that Alabama offense is just littered with talent all over the place. So Devonta Smith, he, he will be drafted in the NFL. It will be selected in the NFL draft. As far as Debbie drafts are concerned or dynasty rookie drafts are concerned, he'll be somebody that that you'll probably be able to pick off the waiver wire for little to no cost. So just keep an eye on Devonta Smith. We know Tua. We know Jalen Waddles a stud, 2021 top wide receiver prospect. So as far as Debbie-related players on Alabama, that's what I got. Now, the Debbie prospects for the Oklahoma Sooners, you start at the top with C.D. Lamb, who some say was the best wide receiver prospect on their team last season when they had Marquise Hollywood-Brown. Lamb has size, he's got speed, he's got punt return capability, the way that he can contort his body in the air, spectacular catches. C.D. Lamb is somebody who's comfortably at the top of my Tier 2 rankings who could easily slide into Tier 1 when it's all said and done. Now, number two is not Trey Sermon. It's Kennedy Brooks. I really like the running capability and running ability of Kennedy Brooks. And he got an opportunity last season when Rodney Anderson was injured for the season and they had to have somebody compliment Trey Sermon. I think Kennedy Brooks has sneaky appeal in Debbie drafts. And in mocks, he's going around round three, round four. I can easily see myself taking a flyer on him in the third or fourth round of Dynasty rookie drafts next year. He's not, again, he's not overly spectacular in any area, but he's not bad in any either. He's got speed, he has vision, he's just a smooth runner, and Oklahoma does a good job developing their running backs, so Kennedy Brooks is somebody that I'm looking forward to watch operate this season. Trey Sermon is third. I think he's a, a hard-nosed running back who, who I don't know, maybe it's because he wears number four, and when... TJ Yeldon was at Alabama. He wore number four and the colors are the same, but it kind of reminds me of a of a tougher TJ Yeldon, which isn't a bad prospect to have, isn't a bad player to have, but I'm not overly excited about Trey Sermon. He's somebody that I would take a shot on later in rookie drafts, but Trey Sermon, I have him ranked third as far as the Oklahoma Sooners. Number four, Grant Calcaterra. I really like me some Grant Calcaterra. He can't block worth a damn, but I don't care. I don't care if my tight end can't block. I need you split out in that wide receiver flex tight end role and catching passes. And I think he's the best at doing that in this draft class. I think that he's got speed. He can make some tough grabs. He got to play with Kyler Murray last year. Didn't do much with Baker Mayfield, but this season it should be as close to wheels up as it's going to get for Calcaterra. He's a playmaker with Hollywood Brown gone and a bunch of true freshmen on the field, they're going to have to find somebody reliable. And we all know that Jalen Hurts, uh, once he, once those first couple of reads are gone, 
You know, he's he's taken off down the field. So I think he could develop a nice rapport with Jalen Hurts this fall. Number five, I've got Jaden Hazelwood, true freshman. They got like three of them down in Oklahoma, but I think this guy will get the first crack at really carving out a role, whether that be that number three wide receiver role or wide receiver four role. But Lincoln Riley's going to spread the ball out. We know how Oklahoma's offense rolls. Again, they're in the Big 12. They don't play defense. They're going to have to score points, and somebody other than C.D. Lamb has to catch the ball. So I'm really intrigued by Hazelwood as well as the other two true freshmen who, and and they were all early enrollees, which is great. They were there this spring. They got to participate in the spring game, learn the offense. So they should hit the fall rolling. No, no kind of time for acclimation. They they should be up to speed and it should be a good situation for the Oklahoma Sooner trio of true freshmen. Now, the only other player that I would talk about is Jalen Hurts. At Alabama, he was able to show flashes of competent quarterback play. He's got size. He can throw the ball. It's just the decision-making, the confidence. Let's see if Lincoln Riley can do it again. I think this is really going to be the season where, you know, he's had the number one overall pick in back-to-back seasons. He's had back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. Let's see how good this Lincoln Riley system is, how good he is as a quarterback developer or QB whisperer, and let's see what he can do with Jalen Hurts, who could have some sneaky appeal within NFL circles, and if he gets drafted with any sort of draft capital, we have to take notice, especially you super flex flex league players. You're going to have to take notice. He gives you ability through the air, on the ground, so that's sort of my honorable mention, number six uh, player as far as Debbie-related purposes off the Oklahoma Sooners. All right, listen up. I told you guys on Twitter, I told you last episode, I'm giving away a signed Nuke Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Houston Texans jersey signed by the man himself. I'm giving it away. All you have to do to enter is go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, screenshot that rating, DM it to Destination Debbie, and bam, you're entered. That's it. Simple as that. If you don't want to write a review, I'd appreciate you writing a review, but if you don't want to write one, that's fine. Just click the stars, screenshot, DM it to me, you're done. 10 seconds and you're entered in for this DeAndre Hopkins jersey giveaway. And guess what? You're not just entered for this one. You're entered for each and every entry that I do from now until the end of December. That's July, August, September. What comes next? Uh, October, November, December. Every one that I do, doesn't matter if I do five a month, one a month, you are automatically entered for each and every drawing that takes place. And all you have to do is get on iTunes, leave a five-star rating, DM it to Destination Debbie, and that's it. Pretty damn simple to be entered into an awesome contest where you can get a jersey, hang it on your wall, put it in your garage, wear it. I don't care, but it's going. And I'm doing the drawing before the end of this month. So if you want a chance to enter, that's how you do it. Now, before I end, I want to tell you what I'm going to do with this show. I really enjoy talking to you guys. I try to make it as quick and efficient as possible, but I will be doing a bonus episode where I bring in guests to talk Debbie, to talk traditional Dynasty League, to talk strategy, to talk Superflex, to talk IDP. I'm going to give you a bonus episode on the weekend. So during the week, you're listening to me. It's me and me only, but on the weekends, we're going to take another trip. We're going to jump on a flight, bring a guest in. I've got some good people lined up that I think you'll enjoy. So just stay tuned. I mean, subscribe to the podcast. You don't need to wait for me to tell you. You'll see it pop up when I load it up on iTunes. So again, I appreciate each and every ear that takes time to listen to this show. 
Thank you for interacting with me on Twitter. Thank you for the sweet comments on, on iTunes. Really, really can't thank you guys enough. But hey, that's the show. Play the music. <laughs>